hello, lovely listeners. Today we explore how to support your child's journey from homeschool to school or vice versa. Uh, one of my lovely listeners recently asked me what they could do to support their ch- child back to school. So here's a podcast aimed at answering that, but also looking more widely at the re- reverse of this. Children return to school for a great many reasons. For some, it may just be something they want to try, like Faith in my interview um, on episode nine. Some may be forced by external factors such as change in family situations. And a very small number may be receiving a school attendance order via the local authority. It could also be helpful for those of you that are looking to do um, GCSEs and maybe can't afford to do the GCSEs privately and want to get the children back into school um, to get those done through school. Um, For this podcast, I am delighted to be joined by two young men, Walter and Henry from Opperdon Education. So thank you guys for joining me today. Um, It might be nice if you guys introduce yourself and give us a little bit of background about your work with children and how that came about. So over to you. So um, my name's Henry. I'm, I'm sitting here with Walter. We're both uh, 27 years old, about to turn 28, and we've known each other since we were nine. So the business has been a long time in the in the pipeline. Um, we had both been working as tutors after leaving university and various educational projects, both in the UK and abroad. And I think for us, um, we set up Opperdon really to be at its core a mentoring business and by that we mean something which is less prescriptive more pastorally focused and really revolves around engaging young people so we do several different things one is a program of private mentoring for families across the uk and abroad we run educational summer camps in june and july for children aged 8 to 13. we run a series of uh, mentoring events and educational opportunities for kids in london And then we're currently in the process of uh, founding our charitable foundation to work predominantly uh, with London State Schools and then hopefully further afield on peer mentoring projects. Uh, And I'm Walter. Um, And as Henry said, so we met on the sports field, age nine, and then went to secondary school together, different universities. And then um, after leaving, I worked uh, in the Far East, helping children with their applications to university. And we worked in Madrid and then we both met in London. And the big issue we found with the tuition sector is that children found it remedial and found um, having work in the shadow education or something which was pejorative. So our aim was just to reverse that and say this is something that is positive and that if kids take ownership of it, then it would be really useful. So um, we're four years down the line and we are having a ball. We love it. <laughs> great that's brilliant yeah it's, it's it's always great fun working with young people I think and especially when you can um you can make it your own so you're not working under the structure of um you know in, in if you were teaching in school under the structure of a of the national curriculum so yeah. that that's I great it, it, we're super lucky we count our lucky stars every day that we get the independence to kind of do things exactly how we want to And I'm sure we'll come on to talking about training and qualifications and so on. But essentially, to cut a long story short, we're not trained or qualified. We have built our business on instinct and we believe that there's a great deal of support that people can give to young people through their energy and through their enthusiasm and commitment. So Mm. that's that's our kind of beeline, I suppose, from the beginning. 
Great. Um, and I was I, when I was kind of um, doing some research on you guys and, and looking at your stuff, I, I loved what you said in your website. Um, so your narrative to change expectation as to the merit of one to one one on one support and change expectation among children as to the value of their education. If children are able to invest in the idea of their learning, there is no limit to what is achievable. Having people who make it their priority to nurture children and keep them grounded is of huge value in an increasingly uncertain world for young generation. I absolutely adore that. And I, I kind of, I kind of felt like it encompassed like what home educators feel. But how did, where did that kind of come from? How did you, how did you pull that out? Um, <laughs> how to do that? I mean, it's taken a lot of time to pull that out. Is worth I mean, there's, there's yeah. so many forms of education, and and one is not necessarily better than the other for us we felt like the um the impact that one-on-one support can have with somebody who's or few people who are genuinely passionate about their subject and who are passionate although i hate the word about the kind of um uh, confidence boosting nature of one-on-one care the the effect that it can have is huge and i said it earlier but but children tend to see one-on-one support as something that um, is corrective and it's really not and I think that homeschooling has huge potential in um, massive development and real real change for the better so yeah that's kind of how we came about um, with that narrative yeah I love it well done <laughs> um, and uh, just a really before we go on to like the crux of the of the podcast today what what experience have you guys had with with homeschoolers so far yeah, so it's not um, a huge percentage of our uh, of our business, and I, I guess that makes sense in the wider scheme of things, just as it isn't a huge percentage nationally. We tend to find parents using us as a bit of a stopgap alongside homeschooling. Um, we have very few parents who would say, I want to exclusively use Oppenheim Education to homeschool my children, but we've had cases of up to sort of four, five, six months where children have been working with one or, or several mentors. It can be someone as a kind of all-encompassing mentor tutor role, or it can be a kind of small team that works alongside trained teachers, parents. Um, it's really been a mix. We've had lots of kids who have been homeschooled with um, special educational needs, uh, those who've been excluded on a part-time or full-time basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really varied a lot. Certainly, we get a lot of parents coming to us to ask our advice on on getting back into school while they're going through the process of homeschooling. I'd say that's the most um, prominent case we'd see is parents who are, they're getting by, they're, they're actually probably in some ways enjoying the process, but they would like to get their kids back into main, mainstream school and they're wondering how our support would kind of uh, help them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that kind of leads us on nicely really to, to the, to the, um, to the point of the podcast so yeah there are lots of families who look to get their children back to school and you, you've discussed a few of those sort of issues where children have come out of school for a whole range of issues and then they're looking to get back in um do you think there's going to be in terms of transition for those children do you think do you think the transition looks the same for for children whether the decision has been made by them or by um, external factors that they have to go back to school do you think yeah I think I mean our, our um, it's funny you said that our like motto for our business is extreme ownership so whatever you do whether you're in the office working or whether you're managing the business or whether you're a child 
um, that's being mentored, if you have ownership of your education, you're going to get much more out of it. So to answer your question, yes, there's a difference between it being child-led. We kind of see there's a there's a, a nuance between being child-led and being child-engaged. You know, however young or old the child is, there has to be a, a degree of parental authority in managing or, or, or local authority managing that decision. But we've found in our experience, if a child is more engaged with the process and sees it as something positive, then, then there's a huge transition, huge difference rather on that transition. So... I think a huge percentage of the children we meet feel that they are spoken to or that they are that their that their their life choices at this stage, whether they're eight or eighteen, are being kind of governed for them. Mm. And we try as much as we can to give them the the feeling that they can empower themselves and and make the most of it themselves. In reality, of course, their parents are going to be making decisions. But I think we just feel that the more they are involved in a really positive way, um, the better for it. I mean, to give one case study, sometimes children might be looking at different schools and we just say to a parent, you know, the most damaging thing you can do is set up those schools as a kind of A, B, C success failure scenario. We try and look at it as a horizontal hierarchy of here are lots of different options. They're all fantastic. They all bring different positives. How can we paint that in the right way for a young person to, to engage with it and see the value of it mm-hmm. for themselves? One of our one of our sort of um, uh, informal advisors is well, he's called Kirill, and he's um, he's one of the cleverest blokes we know. And he decided very early on that he was going to get homeschooled himself, and it was his decision. And you know, he's he's super smart and very cool, and um, that's just one example of many in which he made the decision early on, and this and it's and it's um it's benefited him hugely. So um, yeah. Yeah, so I guess I guess in giving parents advice and thinking about it, it's about starting with the child. It's about talking to them about what what is it, what what are you passionate about? If if they're if they've been homeschooled for maybe all their all their life, they're like fourteen, like um, Faith in my podcast uh, previously. Um, then it's about working out what what you want from a school, isn't it? Because they do they do offer even sort of the the, the average state school they they offer different things. Um, so it's about saying there's no hierarchy. Let's go and look at these different schools that we can access, and let's pull out from them what are what are the strengths and but but make that child led, make that their decision. Yeah. Would you would you say that's the starting point? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think you're you're spot on with all of that. Um, and if they, you know, the the management of the day is as important as 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 anything, you know. And you, for a child who's who's spending time at home learning, it's as important to make sure that other things in their day are, are being managed well. So the social aspect, you know, after school clubs, you know, they are as important for us as the the actual learning. So mm-hmm. uh, there's huge, obviously, there's enormous flexibility with this and. Um, you know, we're big believers in like a socially driven form of education. And um, for anyone who's, who's, who's wondering about how to go about homeschooling their children, I think focusing on the social aspect is, is vital. So that would be my two cents. Yeah. And I would say in our experience, kids of any age, they love being spoken to as adults. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that doesn't mean you have to include them in all the nasty bits. You know, it's also similarly it can be very dangerous i think talking in front of a child about their education because they yeah. feel powerless and you know sort of oh you know 
Eddie's so smart, you know, but you know, you're, you're struggling or, you know, th- those, those kind of differences or sibling rivalries and everything, we try and avoid that as much as possible, but including them in the things that are positive and the things that matter. I think that's really, really powerful. I think that's really important, actually. Um, one of the biggest things that um, Faith that I interviewed um, said was that she couldn't understand why, when she went to school, the teachers, she couldn't have a relationship with the teacher. And I mean a relationship in terms of, like, that that dialogue. Um, it was so didactic that she couldn't, she just couldn't connect with it and she couldn't understand. And she just sort of said, you know, it's no wonder that so many teenagers are, are kind of turned off from this, really. I'd so funny to say that, you know, you, any kid who's listening to this or any kid you speak to, you know, you tell the story about when you see a teacher in a sweet shop and you kind of run away or like you see your teacher like, you know, in the cinema next to you and they're just aliens, they're monsters teachers and they don't, you know, monsters in a sort of, you know, um, well, because they are in formal education, you can't ever have that relationship with them, even if they're the nicest people in the world. That's just that always um distinct nature yeah but if you see them you know that's why mentoring works so well and homeschooling works so well is that you have that like faith wanted that that really nice relationship i think we see see ourselves sometimes in part as a kind of in a gap between homeschooling and school because what we can provide is the kind of impartiality of it and I think that must be something I'm sure you could speak more about it, which parents struggle with at home is how to be both a disciplinary figure and the inspiring educationist. And for us, we it, it's kind of a half volley because you come in, the expectations are low. And if the mentor is 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 on their game and engaging and inspiring and enthusiastic, that young person's always going to respond well to someone who's there as a kind of figure to admire and respect and work hard for, as well as having a personal and pastoral relationship with. So, you've sat down with your child. You've talked about um, what it is they want. Their their kind of their worries, their 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 excitement about going back to school. If if that's the case, you've looked at a whole range of schools. What do you think are the next steps for them in terms of transitioning them in, into school? I think there's a um, a big thing that you should try and do is make sure that they're not learning in a vacuum. And by that I mean, you know, you're 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 sitting there one on one or one on two, and there's no there's no sense of context to what you're doing sometimes. And I think, you know, we teach people who are at school and who are not. And for those who are not, they like a sense of where they sit relative to their year group in school. And so um, so having that context is, is, is good. And by that, I mean, you know, sometimes doing like 10 question tests and saying, you know, Tom, that the person in school is getting the same as you. And so making, making some context to it is good. I would say accountability is vital if you're getting homeschooled. In terms of um, you, you, you want to see some progress, and you want to see some progress made, and um, having having a form of testing is 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 vital. So those two points for me, I think, are, are important to take yeah. into account. I'd say the biggest leap is going to be the sociability side of things, and for for a child who hasn't been in school before, that can be difficult. So just being introduced to, to what that's going to be like and more clubs and sports and activities and perhaps that child's already really involved in those kind of extracurricular things already or perhaps they're not and just I think introducing them slightly more to kind of workshopping and group activities and understanding that that feeling of being in a classroom is going to be totally different but that's okay that's not a bad thing it's mm. just 
it's just, just different. It's just different, yeah. Yeah. And I guess um, sort of going back to um, that point about sort of testing, you know, obviously in, in the homeschool environment, that that's that's not something that, that happens regularly um, unless a parent is particularly um, following a formal formal yeah. curriculum and they are taking aspects of the of the national curriculum and testing their children at home so I think that that is perhaps quite a big issue to be talking to children about in terms of how is it going to be different in a classroom situation to a home and what those expectations those those sort of differences like you um homework and things like that will will essentially depending if they've been in school before obviously but um I mean the ultimate, the ultimate is to get the child to, to write the syllabus slightly you know and, and and with the mentor who's working with him or her is to create the syllabus that that she or he has has has, has derived from their own interests and if you if you if you trust the kind of authority in a good way of that mentor then you're going to make sure that that syllabus is 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 kept to and is is challenging and is is relevant i'd say um yeah and and, yeah, and, then, and then it flips the other way sorry um you know then if there's someone who's working with a child who's uh maybe who's a writer for netflix let's say who's actually one of our mentors is or who's a journalist or who's a you know actor then you can base some of the lessons that you do with them on that and you then bring this like learning outside the classroom a bit more even more so and into the real world and mm-hmm. uh, i promise if you're doing english with a writer from netflix and you're correcting his or her mistakes <laughs> that child is jazzed you know that's yeah that's right that i mean that's at the heart of all my my learning that's that's real learning it's like you say it's putting it into context um and i guess in a way that's why i created um the app collage because um it does allow people to track the progress that they're making with their children it does allow them to see where they their starting point and where they've come to whether they're using the national curriculum and being formal with their learning or whether they're unschooling and actually just tracking the things they're doing against subjects so that could be a useful tool for people you know potentially needing to transfer back into school or just just for their own background and just to um help their children see actually the progress they're making when they're homeschooling because that that's another thing that's kind of is very evident in school where you're at and, and what you're doing and what your what your goals are but it's perhaps not so evident um yeah. if you're homeschooling progress is the big motivator isn't it so being yeah. able to see while progressing like on on collage is great and actually you know that is one of my passions about homeschooling is that if you're um you know, in school, it, it can be really hard for children to be um, sort of assessed against children of the same age as them, particularly if they've got additional needs and things. So that is one of the beauties of homeschooling, allowing you to progress naturally at your own at your own um, development. Is there anything you would sort of advise parents on in terms of like returning to school and and sort of prepping your your child for thinking you're actually going to be assessed against other children as opposed to you know just focusing on your own development I th- well it's funny you say that I'd, I'd written down five minutes ago point of comparison because uh it's just having them aware I think that they are going to be compared and it's yes. the start that's the start of real life I guess and it, and it's um it can be difficult and it can be quite cruel, I think. And that's one of the big issues in school groups, particularly in big year groups and 
sure we'll talk more about slight deficiencies in the, in the school system at the moment but I, I don't have a kind of concrete idea of how to enforce that point more just as a sense of if parents can be really aware that their kids are going to be compared and to kind of loosen them up for that and be and 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 have those young people aware that they are going to be in a very very different learning environment I think yeah that's, that's but it, yeah but your, your point is is, is is basically saying that p- parents have to be aware that their child, their child won't be, you know, the very best. And if that, if you can manage the expectations of parents, then the child is going to have a much easier transition. Yeah. We usually feel like the mentoring for us starts with the parents. Yeah. And yes. Really well with the parents. It informed, you know, sort of filters down. And and that's where the good and bad habits start. And I think if parents can just have a really positive outlook and be relaxed about it. But while enforcing a, a sense of, you know, there's accountability here and there's going to be comparison, then I think it can be really positive. Um, and the younger those children are, the more malleable, I think. Mm-hmm. And although we may worry for them more when they're younger, we generally find the younger kids we look after, are they have a great kind of bounce back ability and they're quite yeah. resilient and, and they, they're very good at adapting to a new environment. I think the older the more complicated, but then, then again, the more mature and independent-minded that young person. So, and I guess that's in, in that sort of um, adds up when we think about the sort of mental health issues that we're seeing in, around that sort of teenage development as well. I guess in that yeah, school is a horrible place to be when you're fourteen. <laughs> it is. It is. I remember it very well. So <laughs> there's no silver bullet for it. It's just there's going to be a host of different hormones and emotions going on regardless of how they're doing educationally so yeah dealing with that is as much of a pastoral issue as it is an educational one I think and that that whole pastoral issue that brings me on to my kind of next sort of phase so so you've looked you've talked to the child about what it is they would like to get from a school you've looked at all these schools hopefully child-led you're you're gearing yourself towards a specific school um what would you say would you say the next steps are around that that and you've talked to them about the fact that you know school the school day is going to be different the the comparing is going to be slightly different the assessment and all of that what are the next steps in terms of actually getting them into school is there any is there any sort of anything you'd recommend in between that that stage uh i think it's just making sure that whatever curriculum they're jumping into they've had a head start with mm-hmm. for us it's it's the most prescriptive bit of an otherwise uh otherwise a business that really lacks prescriptive learning um it's it's being aware okay this school you're going to be studying this and if we could get you a little bit ahead on that or kind of help you be ready to tackle those things your confidence is going to soar i think the the difficulty is is if the child doesn't hit the ground running mm. in classroom when they're there i think that can be really difficult so getting ahead of things curric- curriculum wise i would say is yeah and just just start. just uncertainty children hate uncertainty in like what time they go to bed or you know like where their toothpaste is or what they're learning at school you know like people children just like um that sense of um knowing what's expected yeah. of them yeah one case study is on our summer yeah. camps <laughs> the, the children on our summer camps were constantly asking us questions about meal times until yeah put up a huge blackboard that said what they were eating and exactly what time and the the whole lot of them just calmed down it was uh, (laughs) how interesting yeah people of that age group they like to have um they like to know what's expected of them i think as adults we just take it for granted slightly that it all fall into place children yeah like that absolute 
know yeah we we talk a lot now in our peer mentoring schemes in schools about life hacks which lots of kids are aware of certainly more so than i was but but you know the the folding your clothes the night before the having your bag packed so that when you're at school it's the right file that comes out rather than scrambling around i think there are so many ways that kids just slip up naturally because they don't have those independent life skills there in place and the, the kids who can get those habits in place really quickly will always be fine in a, in a kind of chaotic, scaled school environment. And mm. so yeah. those are things they might not be used to at home. And, you know, and Walter, also, yeah. and I, Walter and I both went to boarding schools, which are often criticized for producing fairly, uh, well, young people who lack independence. But I'd actually say having to get on with stuff and do things for yourself, um, going into a school environment can be really powerful for, for, for kids. So... Yeah, fostering independence before day one rather yeah. than during the first term when they're struggling. Mm. And the um, of the homeschooling families that I've I've met, the large majority of them, the children are actually very independent. But I guess I guess the independence is slightly different in terms of like wandering around a secondary school all day, going through five or six different lessons and needing different equipment for those lessons. Um, you know, I like, I like that idea of, of, of getting homeschooling children to think about that, to make sure that everything is in their bag. Cause I'm sure at home, you know, they are actually really incredibly, um, independent. Um, we had a, sorry, last one, sorry. We had a, we had a case where, um, a child was worried because, uh, he didn't know like how to get to school and we had to teach him like how to pay for the bus. Okay. And that was the issue rather than what he was learning when he went back to school. So yeah. if you can pick those, if you can unpick those, um, those yeah. worries. My, my guess is, well, actually, my experience of this is also that you get very different ends of the spectrum in, on, on homeschooled young people. You've got fiercely independent, mm-hmm. driven learners who are going to definitely be fine on all this life hack stuff. And then you've got kids who, for whatever reason... Um, you know, they're going to find this a bit of a struggle and it is a bit of a, a life change and a daunting one. So parents yeah. will be massively aware of, of what they're dealing with. I think it's just being ahead of the curve on it if they can. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, Faith in my last podcast, she was, she was, you know, she was there. She, she was like, she had no worries about, you know, what she was learning and, and being ahead of the game. But there are, I agree, there are there are going to be differences. And and actually for children who um, that that, you know, like you talked about the bus, maybe just the whole thought about finding their way around this sort of large building would um would you advise parents to make sure that they've got that kind of pastoral care they've got they've got some they're attached to a tutor that they've met and spent a bit of time with they've maybe got a um another child who's going to be supporting them would you would you get would you suggest that the parents and have that conversation with the school um is that something you think schools naturally provide new children with I, I would say, I hope so, yes. I think in reality, probably no. And, um, you know, if, 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 there's, if there's a sort of deficiency in the school system generally that we see that leads to mentoring taking place outside of school or kind of further need for pastoral support, it's that schools are self-confessed to be struggling with a lack of funding and therefore they don't have the pastoral role models, the, the, the form tutors, the kind of those people who were traditionally there to ensure wellness, 
they do still exist and i certainly wouldn't say oh schools are bad at it but they they struggle they we spoke to a head teacher in central london of a very well-funded london state school who said i have 27 teacher roles lacking through uh, you know over a million pounds cut in funding so um they're simply lacking salaries and as a result they amalgamate management roles so yeah. you've got teachers doing several different things when in fact they should just be doing one or two and as a parent that would be for me i'd be very heightened my, my awareness of that would be heightened and i would try and seek out someone who's going to be in some way responsible for my child mm-hmm. because you can't you can't ensure that the school's going to be doing that and i think secondary schools in particular are quite a lonely they can be quite lonely places in big year groups and if there are other issues there already so and actually testament to that is um whilst there is a, well has whilst there is a as henry says self-confessed lack of funding that allows schools to employ pastoral heads and pastoral teachers what has benefited what what has come out of that is 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 charities who work with schools and there's a brilliant one called place to be which oh, wow. which is great and we see in lots of schools don't we yeah and that 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 kind of fills that void of of a of a pastoral uh, entity for the child who can go and talk to um that 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 person during lunch or after school and we've seen with our mentoring in schools now that we do peer mentoring wise um that that mentoring relationship allows a a a further sense of um direction and and support for that uh in terms of some concrete advice for parents when the child is arriving at school i would just say really do seek out that person who who might be a really supportive influence for them because um they they will be there and i think my experience of working with the schools and with the parents says that Schools don't like parents who are very overbearing or kind of needy or kind of um, trying to ask for lots from them all the time. But kindness and a kind of gentle approach can be really, really well received. And as long as the parent understands that that teacher is firefighting on a number of fronts and can be very kind of diplomatic in the way that they deal with those uh, teaching roles, I think a great deal of support can be garnered from a, from supportive teaching staff. And mm. then it's just not to go in kind of wielding a hammer yeah but, but go in with a gentle but but forceful approach i'd say yeah and i was i was thinking also about the whole um um side of um of of getting another child to support the the new child coming in um which can sometimes be a bit uncomfortable but actually if it's if it's unpicked in a you know in a in a well done way in in the sense of you know um i've got a 14 year old child who's who's rugby crazy and um you know you can you can hook them up with another child who's who's fanatically loves rugby that could that could be a good crutch for that child going into school do you do, do you think that would work for from a yeah. school's perspective and yeah and our, our, our foundation is built on that very ethos which is that you have a, a, a peer, um, a role model in the school who's slightly older. Um, we call it the power of the high five. And if you have someone who is paired up with you, who both you know you both love rugby, but who's three years above, you know, you always remember the people who's older than you, but you never remember the people in the school younger than you. And there's a responsibility that a sixth form student has in a school to be to be there for kids who have just come and who are transitioning. And if you see the national dip in attainment. It all happens in year eight, the second year of a five-year GCSE course. During year eight, 
that's when mentoring really has its has its place. And um, so yeah, we're we're massive believers in exactly what yeah, you just said. Yeah, it's it's the context to why we uh, started a charity is essentially that attainment dip, but also there's a really shocking exclusion rate in year mm. seven nationally in the UK, which I'm sure lots of parents who are homeschooling will be painfully aware of because that's in some cases that's why they're homeschooling and for us it was we spoke to schools and said what's the issue here and they said there's just that we have large year groups and kids who are likely to end up excluded and maybe have special educational needs or a host of difficulties at home pupil premium free school meals those kids are getting lost in secondary and that's because of a lack of, of kind of year group integration I would say as well it's all about if you can kind of uh, glue the cohorts together yeah way more powerful so yes it's something a school should be doing and we're hoping they're going to be doing with us more but as a parent I would 100% I would seek out older an older child there try and find someone through a family connection or through friend groups or whatever who was going to look out for for my younger one yeah yeah, no, that sounds great. And just on on that, because I'm just really interested, do you think like that, you know, that old, that sort of form, um, that system of being in a form group where I think predominantly that's done by age group, do you do you see that as being, um, would that be more successful if it was like a form group across the age groups of the school um, rather than done in an age, in, in their actual age? I actually spoke to a head teacher literally last week at a conference who said they do exactly that. They have form groups in different age groups. Yeah, great. So it was traditionally known as a vertical tutor group. Yeah. And exists in the private sector a lot. Um, so definitely, I just think it's amazing. We've done some surveys on, on a, you know, a few hundred kids now in state secondaries in London who say, I don't know anyone in the, in the years above me, mm-hmm. like no one. Yeah. You know, maybe I know one guy from my judo club or whatever who I see, you know, once a week and we barely speak. I remember thinking of the people in the year above me, one year older than me, were like adults. Yeah. And and now we look at them and we blend them all in as this kind of young age group and they, oh, they must just all get on. But it it's um, no. So I think it would be really positive. Definitely. It's the, the problem is, is they have timetables that don't allow for that. So, yeah. It's be really difficult to stick different timetables together and get year groups doing the same thing at the same time. But mm. it would really help from that whole role modeling and from that actual real life. You know, we go into work and things. We don't go to work with the people the same age as us, do we? Or generally, apart from you two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It amazed me going through my 20s how quickly those age groups just disappear. You yeah. just stop, you know, you stop noticing or caring how old people are, both older or younger. And, um, Kids at school don't don't think like that. So yeah. the more we could do to help them understand that age is, is not a factor would be great. Yeah. Okay. And just just flipping the whole sort of situation around. So the child's been in school and they're now, for whatever reason, they've decided uh, well, they're going to be um, homeschooled. Is there anything um, that you would do? So we, we were talking about always making it come from the child. So talking to the child at their level about what it is they're passionate about what it is they're worried about is there anything else any other advice that you'd give families who were looking to do um the opposite and take their children out of school and homeschool them um when we were talking about the schedule yeah spoken about structure expectations a lot of our lot of the children who we homeschool they're being homeschooled by by one two or three different mentors 
and that variety is quite nice in the same way that you have that variety in school too many and you lose you know you lose that close relationship but I think variety is key um, different places to learn you don't necessarily need to sit in the study the big one we see is 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 a mist which is a mistake is is learning or doing lessons or sessions or whatever you want to call them sometimes we don't call them lessons but um when they happen in their classroom uh, sorry in their in their bedroom it's, that's their safe space and if you have uh lessons that take place in their bedroom there's that like environmental difficulty so we say go away from your bedroom go and sit in the kitchen at the kitchen table you know have some structure to it maybe like set up a corner of the kitchen that is just yours to do your work in um, so the environment is 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 as important as the, the, the actual content of the lessons. And I think I'm sure you'd echo this through your experience, which is vastly greater than ours in terms of homeschooling. But uh, just say having game plan. Everything we do in mentoring is about game plan. Um, and that's on paper. It's mentally. It's, it's, it's everything. It's having a structure and, a, and an idea of where this is actually going. I'm just interested in your experience of um like the school system and you've probably you can probably relate it to um looking at schools now in comparison to, to when you were at school what are you seeing we have talked about a few of these but what are you seeing as being um difficulties that schools are having and perhaps they're resulting in um why there's there's an increase in the number of people that are homeschooling what are the difficulties in schools i mean the lack of funding is the obvious one which leads to a, a lack of um, pastoral roles um, and, and, and management roles being being lost. Um, Individual attention has just slightly evaporated, I think. And rising class and class sizes is, is another is another issue the schools face. And there's a real frustration with the teachers who are there who are doing it for passion and love, and feeling frustrated and unsupported. And I think it's impossible for that negativity not to overlap or overflow somehow onto parents and children. I think this one is a slightly more private sector bubble, but still the same in any kind of busy urban areas. It's just competitive places for schools, whether that's state or private. Um, You know, the days of just having a school or a school and a backup are gone. There's now so many factors and that competitive that that competitive structure has basically made parents really anxious and feeling under pressure and then we just see that directly converse into child pressure and anxiety and young people who are way too stressed about the school system for their age yeah definitely that's uh, happening, that's happening so early at primary you know i, I saw 7 year olds just you know beside themselves about completing sats and it's yeah. just really wrong at that age there's a system of seven and eight plus tests in london that just you know are crazy and i think parents it all comes from the right place mm-hmm. but most of our job is saying to parents just calm down don't worry because if you do you're infecting your children with that worry it's impossible not to mm-hmm. to be they say oh you know the classic one is he doesn't know i'm worried but you know yeah <laughs> he's listening on the band he's listening on the staircase at night when you're talking to your friends about it so it's yeah i think trying to stamp out that pressure is going to be really really difficult but having things in in the education system that are positive and enlightening and forward thinking i think is the only is the only option for it and then hopefully schools begin to be better funded and the, Ch- the children are like sponges 
And um, we always feel quite guilty giving parental advice, bearing in mind that we're not yet parents. Um, but, you know, they soak up all the anxiety that, that mm. parents show. And um, we see that all the time. And obviously parents love talking about their kids, right? And um, so they do a lot, which is, which is great. But you want to just separate dialogue with separate, separate any dialogue about progress or, you know, criticisms of schools or, you know, how Jimmy is not doing as well as, you know, Jenny away from the, 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 the conversation with the kids because they don't need that. And when they get home or when they stop their sessions at home, they don't want to be talking about education. No. And it, they pick up on your energies, don't they? Even if you're actually not talking about it, it's that I, I do think they are they're far cleverer than we give them kind of um, thought for in, in that in that respect. Um, the other thing I really quickly wanted to just pick up on was what are your thoughts on like qualifications in terms of um you know what what's important a lot of young people talk to me about um the school system and having to um choose between like geography and history or they can only take one subject in the arts yet they're really passionate about all the arts and that's because they don't it doesn't all fit in the in the sort of GCSE curriculum world what what are your thoughts on um qualifications for the future of kids well I guess there's two ways of discussing as well there's qualification of the, the people working with them and then the qualifications those kids yeah. uh, going for so just to start on the former um we're self-confessed as as you know untrained and unqualified and take a very anti-qualification route on the way we do things mm-hmm. um we love working with very qualified and trained teachers and often refer other companies who focus more on qualifications but for us it's about engagement and enthusiasm and those things shining through and the kind of experience-led training. Um, it's worth saying our mentors are extensively trained, but just on our own format, not, yes. not to any kind of teacher training standards, yeah. um, though they are extensively trained by us. And that in terms of kids, I think, what would you say, Walter? I think there's, a, there's, there's too much of a focus on exams, but they're important to have. And um, we would never shy away from the, the relevance of of yeah exams and what they can do for you with your cv and your job prospects and university and all the rest of it so we're not totally modernist and kind of anti-traditional qualifications on that we isn't there there's a sort of slight um middle ground between too much what we call like profile building early on um at the expense of just like being organic and being free and being young and also a sense of not wanting to sleepwalk through your education and getting to 18 and being like why have i not got a maths a level and I say that totally as someone who doesn't have a maths A level, and I wish he had a maths A level. Um, so the, a lot of the a lot of the mentoring we do is 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 um, nothing to do with actual like pro- teaching of of content, but but providing direction with what qualifications you want to do. And that might be a case of not going to university at all and doing apprentices and apprenticeship mm-hmm. and going to technical colleges, and that's brilliant as well. So it's giving them. A variety of options and then letting them choose which they think is most suitable. Just as a last point, I also think it's not mentioned nearly enough in this country of how positive it is that we choose to study things that we enjoy, not that we feel we have to. If you yeah. speak to anyone in Europe, they say, why have you not done economics if you want to do business? Or why would you not study finance if you want to work in a bank? You know, with the exception of some sciences and, and medicine, 
you can do anything you want with a degree from the right place. And I was in, you know, I took four languages and English as my A-levels. <laughs> so <laughs> very bizarre. And my American stepfather thinks I was a lunatic to do so. But I picked the subjects that I love purely for passion. And they led me in a direction that allowed me to learn and to improve and to do whatever I wanted, really, apart from be a doctor, which I would have been rubbish. At. <laughs> so I think for the most part, this country does reward choosing something you want to study, not feeling that you're boxed into certain qualifications that will, will make you, yeah. you know, employable. No, and I, I, I love like um, when I looked through your website and stuff and I saw um, all the stuff about sort of building the other stuff, because actually, you know, like the World Economic Forum, they're listing in their, their sort of 10 things that businesses want from young people. They haven't actually listed like um, qualifications, but they are looking for innovative people that can communicate, people that can be, you know, work together, um, be creative so I, I do love I, I love to think about learning as so much more than just getting, you know, an end route to getting some qualifications. I think it's spot on. It's, yeah. it's all about these kids being adaptive and, you know, actually just having life skills that they can use and, and take advantage of. And I think people are wising up to that. And certainly the job market is is becoming much more fluid in that way. So. I hope schools will reflect that in time too. I don't feel that they fully are yet. No. I think it's pushing that way. It's just educational change at top level is so difficult and so unlikely. Yeah. uh, Because of the way governments are short term and the way they work. So it's tough to see it happening in the mainstream sector really soon. But I think it's being pushed by businesses and and charities and organisations outside of schools. So. And just really quickly, because I, I have I've kept you for a long time this morning. But um, what what are what could you explain the differences that you see of a tutor and a mentor? Yeah, I mean that is the question we get asked every day. Um, a mentor is just someone who uh, provides a better understanding of what you are trying to achieve, and uh, it's not just important for children to have a mentor, but for literally everyone. And our slogan, our you know, whatever is, is we all need a mentor and uh, whether it's a formalized role, like, like at Opperden or whether it's an informal role, like an uncle or a friend or a, you know, colleague sometimes in, in every industry, there is a mentor and friends of ours who are, uh, you know, teachers, lawyers, whatever playwrights, they will have a mentor themselves. And, um, and it's vital for children to have that, that space that kind of in the Venn diagram of family, school, in the middle of somewhere where the mentor sits. The tutor is prescriptive, and I could bang on for too long and bore you to death about the, the, the deficiencies of a, of a tutor um, um, and, the, and the deficiencies that, that lead on to the mindset of a child, but a mentor is just someone who provides game plan and support and direction, um, who provides academic support as well, someone who they look forward to seeing i mean that you know we go on but that's really the main difference yeah I no i just think we feel that a, a tutor has a pejorative um sent sometimes to children specifically they're also parents who mention tutors as the kind of dirty word hiding them away you know and schools are not generally supportive of tuition because they see it as something which is conflicting with what school does mm. and for us mentoring is collaborative and it is complementary to anything being done either at home or at school educationally. 
yeah. it's, it's an extension of tuition uh, and, and it exceeds tuition, not replaces it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I think that's kind of covered all bases, thinking about um, going back to school or thinking about um, home home educating. I think it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a nice reminder to make sure that we, you know, we're child-centred, we're really there with the child, not talking at the child or over the child about about their um, their hopes and th- their fears of of going either way. Is there anything you feel that um, we've not picked up on, or you'd still like to sort of throw into the mix? Just just the the, the emphasis on how positive homeschooling can be, and how we have to shift the narrative to make it something positive. It's never as a you know it's not and it's not that's not to say that we should bash any other form of education, but I think that the more choice that a child has, and going back to your kind of original question, the more engaged a child is in the process of making a decision for themselves, the better it is. And I think done well with the right support and with the right schedule and with the right environment, homeschooling can be can be can be massively beneficial so and it, and it is sorry not can be it is massive. we see it time and time again um with our kids and with you know the kids that you work with and and friends of ours who have been homeschooled so i think also it's, people say what well, what's the end game what's the end game here what's the what is everyone looking for is we hope you know we're looking for young people who are going to enter adult life as empathetic people and I think mentoring, homeschooling, anything with this kind of sense of personalization and, uh, you know, soft skills at its core as well. It's about empathy and driving um, those that as a focus rather than any sense of kind of academic achievement being the be all and end all. So, um, oh, great. No, that's really lovely to hear. I'm sure um, all those um, home educating families that are listening will, will really appreciate that. If you've got any questions that you would, um, any listeners have that you would like to um, either ask myself or Henry and Walter, please do send them in and we will make sure that they get answered in some format, whether that's a another podcast or a post. Um yeah really grateful both of you for your time this morning that was um we could go on and maybe we'll have some future podcasts because there's some more things i'd love to unpick um with you guys so thank you very much for that thank Um, you thank you right um until next time stay calm and listen to your young people (laughs) 